Yeah, we, we had like kind of these like kind of build-up meetings beforehand with a group of people that wanted to help kind of start this thing and get it rolling. And at that meeting, you know, to be honest, you know, the feeling in that meeting was, geez, you know, we're, we're not really getting kind of the, some of the support from other churches that we thought we would, and it doesn't really seem to be coming together. And so we're like, well, you know, we thought that maybe um, God was sort of guiding us in this direction to do this, but maybe he's not, you know, at that August 15th meeting. And then... That next week, I, I kid you not, I picked up like uh, an entire really just, you know, worship set and just all this equipment, got a couple of checks kind of written right on the spot. And so a little bit started to happen. And so we were like, geez, you know, I guess we just should just still keep going. And that's just sort of the way things have been going. You know, I, as we were getting started, you know, people would ask, um, you know, why would you plant a church? You know, why, why would you do something like that? Um, does Naugatuck really need another church? Does Connecticut need another church? You know, I, I don't know. There's a bunch. Probably not. Um, but I think that it's an important aspect, you know, in, in a believer's life, in a Christian's life, if they feel like God is taking them a certain direction, you just have to go. And wherever that brings you, that's just where it brings you. And so that was kind of the calling on my heart and, you know, my wife's heart, Julie, and... Uh, with the group that we were there, and we'll see kind of what God does with this church. I mean, our prayer last year at this time was, God, at the end of the day, this is your church, this is not our thing, this is not our group, this is not our people, it's your people, so you take us where you want us to go, and we're going to commit to preaching from the Bible, and saying what you have to say, and we're going to commit to loving other people, and that's what we're going to try and represent. And wherever you take it, you know, that's where you take it. And so uh, it's been pretty cool so far within the first year. And so we have a little bit of a slideshow. Uh, the very first slide, I think, is sort of like a collage of just all different images. And then from there, uh, it kind of goes through. So.
last slide uh, said that this is only the beginning, you know, and then Romans 8, 28, you know, whatever work uh, that God has started, he's going to begin until completion. And so that's kind of what we're holding on to, you know. And within that slideshow, I just got, tried to put in ways in which this church has kind of done some things. You know, we've, um, people have been baptized. We've been able to send people overseas uh, to work with, um, you know, people in, uh, in other countries. And uh, we've done a lot of little things here, so it's pretty cool. And so it's going to be awesome to see, like, what God does and where he brings us. And we'll see what happens. The journey of faith is kind of what we're on, right? This journey of faith. All righty. So with all that, we're going to continue to go through the book of Acts. We're almost done. We started Acts uh, a year ago. And so we're in Acts 25. We're just about done. And so... It took us a year to do Acts, so I guess we need like 65 more years to get through the rest of the Bible, uh, and then we'll be there. Um, so that's where we are, Acts 25. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go to Acts uh, 25. Um, we're going to pick up in verse 23. Um, but what I want to do is just get a little, little, give a little bit of a backdrop, kind of as far as what's going on. Um, I entitled it Straight Talk. Um, I don't know, just because I think in this day and age, it's sort of like a rare quality to have somebody who can just kind of like, just be a straight shooter, just tell you how it is, and without being rude and insensitive, but just really paint the picture of what's really going on. I just, I don't know a lot of people that are really skilled in doing that. Either they come off really like brash and offensive, um, or they just want to be kind of on the other end where they're just really so, they want to be just uh, so politically correct all the time that they never really get to the heart of the issue. Um, Apostle Paul had a good gift as far as doing some straight talk, just kind of saying how it is and what's really going on. But with this, I wanted to start off with this thought. Uh, We live like in 2011, and for those of you that know or don't know, kind of like the phrase that's kind of used for this age right now is sort of the postmodern age, the postmodern age. So basically that means um, that we're in this age now, we're sort of uh, we've tried God out for a while, um, we've tried science out for a while, and now we're kind of at this weird stage where people, they want to be spiritual, but they're not really quite sure what that looks like. Because they know science is important, they know God is important, but they're just like, I don't, I don't know, I want to be spiritual. And so from that, you just get all these different types of people that just get into all these different things. And whatever sort of works for them, that's kind of what works. Um, The backdrop behind that thought is that since we've quote-unquote tried God and sort of like tried religion and stuff like that, uh, it seems to me that we're getting pretty smart kind of as we move on, especially with science and as we learn more things. And so at least I've noticed that it seems like people's like narrow and or people's image of God is pretty narrow and pretty limited. Like he couldn't just do these amazing things that are in there. Um, I personally think that he could. So, I think this is like a big stumbling block. You know, and and that's sort of like intended. You know, stumbling block. It's that the cornerstone, like Jesus Christ, who he is, is really a stumbling block for a lot of people because of what's in there. Um, The History Channel, right? So I was watching the History Channel maybe a couple of weeks ago, and they had like an episode on where they were talking about... um, the Red Sea, and how Moses is part of that, and a worldwide flood. And basically what they're doing is they're just giving like a lot of reasons and scientific ways to sort of explain how it could have happened. 
And, I was, and a lot of it seemed like a stretch. And I was sitting there watching, and I was like, yeah, you know, I guess, but what if it really was just a worldwide flood? And, you know, what if you really literally parted the seas, and it says, like in the Bible, it's just a wall of water on the right, wall of water on the left. What if there really was a big fish, and he swallowed a guy? Like, I don't know. I, I, I could believe that God could do that. Basically, because when I look at the Bible and I see Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. For me personally, that's not really an issue. I'm just, okay. If God is who he says he is, I assume that he could do that. And anything else that seems ridiculous or impossible, I'm kind of settled on that one. And if you're kind of stuck right there, the very first verse in the beginning of the Bible, you're going to be stuck for a little while. You're going to be stuck for a little while. So, straight talk, and as far as this idea of limiting God, uh, that's what Paul's getting to the heart of as he's kind of on trial here. So you, you had a chance to turn to Acts 25, verse 23, and basically Paul is standing before the judge. So he's standing before a judge, and this is not his first time. He was before a judge before, he was before a mob before that, he was before religious authorities before that. We've kind of seen like his whole journey uh, happen as he's on trial, and in his opinion, what he's trying to prove is that he's really on trial because he believes the impossible. That the Jesus Christ, the Messiah that's painted in the Old Testament, was in fact Jesus that walked around on the earth and he rose from the dead. That's the sticking issue. They claim that he's a rioter. They claim that um, he's like sort of a cult, religious kind of nut job who wants to like uh, destroy the temple bring them to a new religion, and he just wants to cause trouble. And so he addresses all those charges to every judge he's been at so far. And at so far, every judge has been like, you know what, I don't know what to do with this guy. And they keep passing him on to the next guy. And so now he eventually ends up to the really king of this area in this Roman Empire at this point in time. And he's going to get a chance to stand before him, and we're going to see what happens. So, verse 23, it says, uh, The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. So, here's what's happening, right? He's getting pushed on from guy to guy to guy. He was just at Festus before, and basically, the last time he was with Festus, Paul noticed he's just getting shuffled around. So he said, you know what? Because I'm a Roman citizen... I appeal to Caesar. I want to go to Rome and I want to bring my case there because you guys are just going to give me the runaround. And because he was a Roman citizen, he could do that. Not everybody had that privilege. He did, so he said, I want to go to Rome. So basically, he's waiting to go there. While he's waiting, everybody there is kind of like, they kind of want some entertainment. So they're like, hey, bring this guy Paul in. Like, we want to hear what he's about and what's going on. So they bring this guy uh, Herod Agrippa. And so there's a lot of Herods in the Bible. Um, it's kind of, uh, they, they've been very involved with Jews and Christians. And they know the beliefs, and they've actually they've killed a lot of them. So this guy that we're reading about right now, Herod Agrippa, his great-grandfather killed all the children under two, hoping to kill Jesus, right? Remember that story? Right? They found out Jesus was going to be born, right? The three wise men came, and in, you know, he's like, oh, really? You know, tell me where he is, because I want to worship him, which was a load of nonsense, right? They're just trying to figure out where he is so he could kill him. And the wise men never came back, and so he ordered the decree to kill everybody under two. 
Um, and then uh, another Herod within that family killed John the Baptist. He beheaded him. Um, another one had James, the brother of John, one of the apostles, had him killed. And so these Herods, not really uh, very, too favorable towards uh, the Jews, and the, especially uh, the Christians. Especially the Christians. So he's coming in, this big, so you just picture like, um, I don't know, what could we relate it to? So 2011, maybe England, right? We just had the big wedding, a lot of pomp, just a lot of stuff going on, important people, important things. And so that's the way this guy arrived, because he's somebody important. So in verse uh, 24, it says, Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting they ought not to live any longer. Right? He's talking about Paul. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. So Festus is kind of in a tough spot. So if you're Festus, you have this guy, Paul, and essentially he didn't commit a crime. He has no charges. But he just appealed to go to Rome and go to Caesar. And so if... You're Rome and you're Caesar, and this guy comes up. And naturally, you're going to say, okay, what did you do wrong? And uh, he's not going to have any charges with him. So it's going to make this guy Festus look pretty silly that he's sending people to him and just really wasting his time. And so Festus' idea is, well, listen, you know, let me get Agrippa in, kind of the king of the area, and maybe between the two of us listening, we can formulate some charges that would make sense and that would stick, and then it would make sense about why he's going there. Because Festus understands it's going to come back to him eventually who he's sending there. So in 26 verse 1, it says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. And so basically, they give him the floor. And that was probably a mistake, right? <laughs> so they give him the floor, and he's about to go on. And so I have a picture up here. Uh, that's in Caesarea today. And so you can see kind of in the distance, that's a Mediterranean Sea. That's similar to the kind of setup that he had was uh, there's an arena right there right in Caesarea right on the shore there um, and I imagine you know they probably bring Paul down in front and they say hey listen you got the floor let's hear what you got to say uh, little did he know little did they know he was going to turn the tables um, and really change some things so let's see what happens what does he do what does he say what would you do what would you say I mean really so Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. And so like I picture him in my head, you know, I picture him like being like, you know, waving his hand. You know, I'm about to give it. So like he knew like the Romans and how they like to, you know, have the pomp. So he motioned his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, right? I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. And especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Right? And we talked about how he was familiar. So in verse 4, it says, The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. Right? It's important. He's identifying himself 
as being one of the ones that's trying to convict him. So he's saying, listen, I grew up with these guys. In fact, I had their job. That's what I did. And you should know that because you're familiar, you're Herod, you're familiar with the Jews. And verse 6, And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead, right? This is like the sticking issue. In his mind, and what he's already done, he's already proven the fact that he, like, he hasn't really broken any laws. And he's really on trial because of his belief that he believes that God can raise people from the dead. And that's not a crime. Like, you could believe that. That's not going to disrupt Pax Romana, right? You could believe what you believe. So in verse 9, it says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name Jesus of Nazareth. So he's saying, listen, I was one of them. I had their job. In fact, I thought I was supposed to do what they were doing, do everything to be against Jesus of Nazareth. And in verse 10, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. That's what I did. On the authority of the chief priests, right, these guys who are putting him on trial now, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. So he's like, you know, this is what I did. That was my job. I would go around putting them in prison and sometimes being responsible for killing them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. So in my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. So this guy was just the worst of the worst. You know, last week, remember we were talking about Pastor Youssef Nadarkani, right? Um, over in Iran right now, and uh, he's on trial, and unfortunately he really hasn't gotten much press, and there's, there really, still really hasn't been... Um, a real aggressive, you know, move really from, you know, uh, the U.S. or really from the U.N. Or, or really anybody. The Vatican, unfortunately, just nobody has really said anything about this guy. And so this past week, though, know, they sentenced him uh, to be hanged. They haven't carried it out yet, but he got the sentence. And so, you know, I think we should still keep praying. You know, and I, I just read this past week um, that in 2013, um, Jews... Uh, who are uh, considered to be Zionists, who are about to be executed, uh, I think in 2000. And then it's just a whole community within the world really got together and it set them free. So even though he just got sentenced, you know, it's not over till it's over. So I think we should keep praying. Um, but these people, right, that put Yusuf on trial and that are trying to get him to basically, essentially, just recant his faith in Jesus. Because if he just says, okay, fine, I made a mistake, I shouldn't believe in Jesus Christ, you know, I, I don't know what I was thinking yet, I'm sorry. He'd be off the hook. That was Paul's job. He was supposed to get people to do that. Listen, I will let you go. I won't throw you in jail and I won't kill you. You just deny Jesus Christ and you come back to our side. This is what Paul did. It's crazy that just train, change and transition that happened you know, in Paul's life. So it says in verse 12, on one of these journeys when he was doing this, when he was carrying out you know, this violence really, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And so God is like, you know, listen. 
you might think you're in control right now, but technically, you know, I'm really in control, and so you can fight against me, but I have a will for your life. So he's saying, the point is to kick against the goats, you know? That was the thing that they had, you know? And they were rolling, you know, with the ox in the fields, and they try and kick, and there's a little pointy thing right there, and if they try and kick, it would get them, and so they'd realize, hey, I don't want to kick anymore. You know, so that's what God is saying to them. Just stop fighting against me. So in verse 15, uh, Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? This is interesting, right? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rest... Right? This is important. I get this one underlined in my Bible. We'll come back to it later. Because this is kind of like Paul's like, mission verse. This is like his life verse. Sometimes you have like, a favorite verse that you hold on to. It really matters a lot to you. That you're just like, man, like that one, that's an anchor for me. But this is his, because this, this is what God told him, right? Paul couldn't say this was his verse, right? Because the Bible wasn't written yet, there was no verses, right? So, but this is what God said to him. It says, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God. So they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That was Paul's call. That's his job. So he's like, listen, guys, it was my job to get them to try and get them to recant their faith, to change their way of life, to put them in jail, to imprison them, to kill them. All of a sudden, I got new marching orders from somebody that is a whole lot bigger and a whole lot stronger that I didn't even know. And now he's telling me to go tell them what the real deal is about this light, about this darkness, and tell them that there's forgiveness of sins and that there's salvation in Jesus. Those are the new, you know, so he's telling, you know, what, what should I do? What would you do? So verse 19, here's what he says. So then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to this vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, right? Right where it happened. Paul didn't waste any time. He just got busy right in that city. Then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the Gentiles also. I preach that they should repent. Basically, they should just, you know, change their lives from the way they were headed and turn to God, and prove their repentance by their deeds. Right? So not just say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower, but does your life actually match up with what you're saying? And verse 21, that is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I've had God's help to this very day, and so I stand here and testify to small and great alike, I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead will proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. And so at this point, Festus interrupted Paul, right? Because he had the two people listening, right? He had Festus listening, he had King Agrippa listening. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul. He shouted, your great learning has made you insane. He said, I'm not insane, what says Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it, it, has not done, it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. So right away, Paul is crazy. You know, he's on the spot. He's got everybody watching him. They're just looking for you know, a problem so they can attach that with him and bring it to Rome. And so all he can think of is really getting the quote-unquote good news out there and then putting King Agrippa, the king of the whole area, on the spot. 
what do you think about that? Like he just comes like right at him with it, doesn't have it, doesn't beat around the bush, straight talk. What do you think about it? I bet everybody's like, you know, can he do that? Like, did you see this guy the way he came in? Like, who he rode with? Like, this is King Agrippa. Like, do you know who you are? So in verse 28 says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? So you kind of get a sense that he's like thinking about it and like, you know, trying to figure it out. So in verse 29... Paul replied, short time or long, I pray God that, not, and here he goes, right? He just goes off here. So short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. He just lays it right out there. In fact, yeah, I do wish that. And not only you, but everybody here that's listening, that is what I'm hoping for. Whatever happens to me, happens to me. But that's what I hope for for you. I, I hope you don't have to be in chains and be in prison, but that's what I'm hoping on. It's putting it right out there. Straight talk. Saying it how it is. It says, The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice, kind of gross, Herod Agrippa was married to his sister. I mean, that was kind of funky. <laughs> That's just gross. You know, so I'm sure that was convicting for him too. And those sitting with them, they left the room, and while talking with one another, they said, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Boom, that's the heavy hitter right there, right? That's the heavy hitter because now they know, man, you know, this is just, what are we doing? This guy's on trial here because he believes in some guy rising from the dead? I mean, honestly. We got nothing on this guy. The only thing that they do have is if they keep him, it keeps the Jews quiet for a while and it doesn't create problems. And that's kind of what they want, what they like. Pax Romana, peace in Rome, whatever it takes means just throwing a guy in prison for a while or doing away with him, it's kind of worth the trade-off in their minds. Justice is not really the most important thing to them. So in verse 32, it says, Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So in fact, he is so innocent, you know what? We would just set him free if he didn't appeal to Caesar. And Festus knew that too. And in fact, he gave Paul that option. He said, listen, you know, we got nothing on you. Why don't you go back to Jerusalem and see if you can work it out with the religious leaders that are there. Just go back there, see if you can work it out. But Festus also knew that before that, a group of Jews said, hey, listen, send them back to us. You know, tell them that, try and work things out. And along the way, we're going to kill them. We're going to ambush them and we're going to take them out. And so at that point in time, you know, Paul didn't take the deal. It was not a deal or no deal thing. He's like, no deal. I'm tired of the runaround. Just let me go to Caesar. Let me go to Caesar. And, uh, you know, it, he would have lost either way because if uh, he would have been set free, he would have been killed by the ambush. And if he goes to Caesar, he knows it goes to Caesar. And that's an interesting road. We're going to see what that looks like on his way to Rome starting next week. So it'll be like, you know, what happens. So a couple things stick out to me um, from reading through that. I mean, it's a pretty incredible scene, number one. You know, and he starts off like, I'm so honored today to like stand before you. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be honored. I'd be annoyed and irritated. Because I've had to run around. I don't appreciate you or your cronies giving me a hard time. Like, let's be done with this. You know you got nothing on it. He just comes off totally different, you know, because he understands who's in control. And uh, ultimately, that God is kind of directing his steps. 
And he's okay with where he's being directed, which is just amazing to me. Because they're being directed down some very difficult, hard paths. So here's one thing that stuck out to me about uh, Paul. And I think it's on the slide. It's got the number one next to it there. There we go. So we can't miss that one. Um, There is light and there is darkness. Which one is winning in your life all the time? Most of the time. Right? Paul's missions verse was you need to go out there, tell them about me, tell them about light, tell them about darkness, and what that is all about, and forgiveness of sins. That's what you have to go do now. Whatever you're doing before, you're going to be forgiven for. This is essentially your new job. These are your new orders. So I write that one up there uh, to see one is what is light and darkness. We've got to try and figure out what that is. And then I think it's a worthwhile question to ask ourselves, which one is winning all of the time? Because, you know, you just might be like, hey, I could really care less about light and darkness. You know, I would do what I want to do and that's the way I want to do it. Or most of the time, I think a lot of times, you know, we would love to say, oh yeah, we're always living in the light. You know, God is always showing me what to do and I'm following him. And that's great. But I think most of us are probably in some light sometimes. We've got some darkness cluttered in there sometimes and we're like kind of like bouncing back and forth. You know, if I could like kill all the lights and have like a nice darkness right here and light over there, you know, just keep bouncing in and out. And sometimes that's kind of the way, you know, we go through life. Um, a few years ago, I went to a uh, youth conference uh, in Utah, in Salt Lake City. It was like three blocks from the temple, too, which is pretty crazy. Um, but a guy is actually talking on this subject, and he, I thought he gave a great illustration, sticks with me to this day, uh, Francis Chan, very well-known uh, Christian guy. And so he's talking about light and darkness, and he's talking about a bunch of high school guys, but he's got me locked in, you know, it's just like, this is good stuff. So he's talking, and kind of, uh, he started off sort of in the dark, kind of in the back of the stage, and... Uh, he's talking about light and darkness and kind of getting into his message. And then as he's talking about the light, you see him kind of creeping in and you can see him a little more clearly now because he's entering the light a little bit more. And so you see him coming up and you see him got like this uh, t-shirt on that's like, uh, doesn't, it's not profanity, but it's kind of like a dirty t-shirt. And you see him like uh, with a ton of alcohol in this hand. You see him with like drugs, you know, kind of locked in in this hand. He's holding like a Barbie doll over here. And then he's still talking about the light and the message. And the point he's trying to make is pretty obvious that he could be saying all that he wants. But as soon as he comes in the light, you see what's really going on. And it really shines on it. So, you know, we were all laughing and looking. I was like, man, that was a great idea, you know, to portray light and darkness and what God actually does when he comes in. So what is light? What is darkness? What does that even mean? Well, thankfully, God was a pretty smart guy, and he put it down for us, because he knew we'd have that question. So on the next slide here, here's what we got, right? First John. This is what John said. He said, God is light, in him there's no darkness at all, right? He makes a pretty clear cut for us. So what is light? Honestly, light is God. And it's the way he says to live life. And on the other end of that is darkness, where we think that we might know the best way to live life, and we think that we might know what's best for us, and we think that all the rules, laws, and regulations that we, God has set up are to make us feel guilty and control us and manipulate us, it's not really the case. In fact, if you live by those parameters, 
you're going to enter into a life of light and true enjoyment that you never would have experienced on the other end. It's really just to protect us. You know, me and Julie are going to be venturing into parenthood now and if there's no sleep, that's a thing of the past and we're going to learn tons of lessons along the way. We're going to tell little Jaren, you know, things to stay away from and things to be involved into, right? Because we love him and we're trying to look out for him. In a sense, no different really than our own father. He knows what is coming down the pike for us and what's happening. And living in the light, just, you know, if God says, hey, stay away from that for right now, that is not good for you, that's not helping that could be destructive to you. I know you don't have a lot of time right now, but spend time with me. Trust me, it's worth it. Um, get that word soaked inside of you. I know some people in your life, you know, uh, that give you some harsh words sometimes, but maybe sometimes you need to listen. Right? That's living in the light. That's, living, that's not just doing my own gig and doing my own deal. Where you think it's the light, but it's not. That's a tall order for Paul. I mean, think about that. Like, that's his job now. How many people are going to buy into that thing? I would have been scared of the guy right away. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's crazy. But God changes things completely. So here's the other thought. So that first thought, light, darkness, what's really important. My second thought was this. Kind of going with the title, don't be afraid of straight talk. Right? Because that's not that popular really in this day and age. We started off talking about that. And don't be afraid from straight talk from others or from yourself. So from others in a sense that like we talked about before people can be uh, they might not deliver the message the best way possible. Right? People are just people. Um, If I come home from work and it's been a long day and you know the the house is looking less than great. Um, I, could, uh, I could come in and just, you know, fire off on Julie. Julie, I can't believe it. You know, why is the house such a mess? You know, it's such a long... We've talked about this before. Like, this is a problem, blah, blah, blah. And uh, the message is certainly going to be missed, right, because of the delivery. But then if I come home and I say, Julie, I said, you know, I had a long day, and honestly, when I come home, uh, I know the house is probably not what you like either. It just makes me feel more frustrated and more stressed out. And so uh, hopefully we can try and keep it cleaner. You know, and I'm going to try and do my part too. I think the message goes a little bit better the second way. Right? I know it goes better the second way because I've done messed up more than I've succeeded. So I know what the wrong ways are. But there's also been other people in my life that have you know, told me in not the best ways, hey, stay away from that. Um, that's not a good thing. Oh, that's stupid. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Or you're not even good at that. Or whatever it is. There were some nuggets of truth within that. And the delivery was just pretty much awful. But I had to kind of suck it up a little bit. Not have a little bit of thicker skin and say, you know what? Is there any truth to maybe what they might be saying? Because here's the fact of the matter. The fact of the matter is that in the Bible, like God was talking through a donkey to a guy. And they don't call it a donkey in the Bible, right? They go A double S, right? But that's in the King James Version, not in the NIV. But if God can do that and talk through people using that sort of method, He can certainly talk through somebody else that, you know, might not be ideal. 
He's always trying to get our attention. Th that one always hurts the most, doesn't it? Like when somebody hits it right on the head and it's just, and you know the type of person that they are. And it's just, who are you to talk? Shut up. Like, I don't want to hear this from you. But, right, there could be some truth to it. And so that's, I, I think it's certainly like a maturity thing that hopefully we get to the point where we say, that was horrible the way you said it, but you know what? What you said about that part is actually right. So, you know, I should probably work on that. That's a tough transition. But I think us, as you know, Christians, believers in Christ, you know, we want to be pursuers after the truth and try and live in the light and uh, not be blind to uh, things that we do or say. And I think that's probably something we should be striving towards. From yourself. Don't be afraid of straight talk from yourself. Sometimes God is going to want us to deliver some straight talk to other people. With that being said, right? Everything, I hope, I hope, I hope, the goal is in love, right? I mean, that's what Jesus said. They're going to know they're Christians by the way they love each other. And it says later on in the Bible that, hey, you could, you could heal people. You could perform signs and wonders. You could have just an amazing life. But, you know, if love is not in there, the verse says, you're like a resounding gong or cymbal. And I wish I had one. I'd just bang it like crazy and see how annoying that is, right? But that's really what your life is like. You could have this other stuff, but it's not fueled in the right way. It's, it's useless. Sometimes we have to do that just with, you know, character type issues with other people. It, it shouldn't be driven by pet peeves. Like, that's not the idea here. I have a pet peeve and I don't like that, so I'm trying to get you to stop it and control your behavior. Like, that's not the idea. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about things that might be hurtful or destructive to other people. And we see... Uh, from in here, that Paul had to give straight talk th during this whole sort of uh, speech and his whole testimony right in front of King Agrippa and all centered around Christianity. And it's centered around what God did in his life. And so sometimes we have to do that as well. And I think you can tell that in 2011, you know, uh, being a Christian and a Bible follower, um, it's not the most popular thing in the world. And you have to be sometimes very careful about how you word things, and probably sometimes it's kind of ridiculous. But other times, people really need to know like what this thing is about. It's become so foggy and murked up to where it's just like, well, yeah, you know, the Bible, I've heard of it, and Jesus is in there, he's a guy on a cross, and he's supposed to be nice and a good person, right? Well, yeah, sort of, but that's not really the whole deal. I mean, you should really understand what's going on here. And so that's where we, as salt of the earth, as light of the earth, that's where we come into play. There's a, uh, a song by uh, this guy, Jimmy Needham. Uh, you should Google him. I should have put a picture of him up there. This guy, Jimmy Needham, he's a young guy. Um, from one of his CDs, it's called uh, Part the Clouds. And that's like what his song is all about, you know, parting the clouds and having the sun, S-O-N, right, really shine through. The clouds being the difficult situations in life, sometimes the difficult conversations in life. So part the clouds. That was his idea behind the song. So the chorus is pretty interesting. It says, uh, it says we, we might as well f just fold our hands if we can't call a spade a spade, because we would just miss the heart each time if we won't ever shoot them straight. These pleasant trees shading me and you too, let's part the clouds and show the world the sun. Right? I thought that was pretty good. That's pretty poetic, I thought. You can't call it a spade a spade. You're going to miss the heart each time, right? You're just going to tell people basically what they want to hear 
And, um, and that's, so, that's the most challenging part, because you want to be sensitive, but you also want to get the truth across. And that's going to be a tremendous challenge, even just for us as a church at Calvary Chapel Naugatuck, is because we want to deliver the truth in love, but you also want to compromise the things that like, are essential you know, within the Bible, and what is essential with what God said. A lot of people have already done that. And later on in that song, it goes, you know, you don't want to water down the living water. Right? You don't want to water that thing down. You want to deliver it the best way that you can. So, let's... Um, oh, did I, I think I had the lyrics on the next slide there. I forgot they were up there. Or we don't. So, maybe what we could do is maybe we could do one more song. Oh, there, there we go. That's pretty good. You can Google them when you get home. Oh, oh, and that's what I wanted to say too. So on Facebook, our, our Facebook page the other day, right, I put the song on there and I was like, oh, you know, you'll find out what this is about when you come to church, you know, on Sunday. And so that's what it was about anyways. Um, maybe we'll get him here someday. That would be fun. Do like a coffee house type thing and have Jimmy Needham playing and that'd be good. So maybe what we'll do is uh, we'll do one last song, maybe the song that we close with and then we'll come back and we'll pray together. Awesome. And so I would encourage you, you know, during this time, you could stand there and sit if you'd like. But the goal is, is to really just, uh, you know, reflect back and just uh, think about what it means to actually be light and dark in this world. As far as how much light are we actually letting into our lives? Like, are we actually shielding it off to where we don't want it in? Because sometimes that's the case. We've got to be pretty honest about these things. Um, and as far as God using us, to be light in this world. You know, he's got us strategically placed where we're at. Strategically placed for each person. So I'd be thinking about those things as we sing the song. Yeah.